UMass played BU hard over the weekend, but still only came away with one of the six points. We're going to recap what went wrong, what went right, and why we have a ton of optimism with this team going forward. So let's go. character hello everyone and welcome to episode 96 of high character umass had a really big series last weekend with bu they were ranked number 19th bu ranked number nine so a ranked matchup home and home umass lost the first game didn't look great came into the second game at mullins and looked absolutely fantastic but ended up tying uh, and they dropped that extra point in the shootout so we're here to talk all about it there's a lot of things to discuss from this series my name is Cameron, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Evan. Evan, how's it going, man? I'm heartbroken, Cameron. I'm heartbroken. Like, it's – I know that sounds really dramatic, and I get it. Everybody who's listening is probably going to be like, dude, it's not that serious. But that first game, like you like you briefly described, we sucked, let's be honest. Like, you know, there, there, was, there were some positives from that, like getting a good early start. We played a good, solid start to the game, and then afterwards we kind of just didn't play very well. Second game – dare i say was the best that i've seen umass look all year barring the the one third period you know absolute massacring of of michigan earlier this year i feel like that was the most complete game that we've played it, maybe even dating back into last season you know for for a big stretch like we looked absolutely dominant in that game and it freaking sucks not getting what we deserved you know like it's just really really tough way to look at it i mean a tie it's still something, you know what I mean? It's good for the pairwise. It's not terrible for the for the hockey's points, but I feel like you got to get out of Mullins with with three points there, and it really hurts that we didn't because I feel like we definitely deserve to to get those three points. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I wouldn't say that I'm heartbroken over what <laughs> happened on Saturday night. I think, like you said, UMass played an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal game. They really did deserve to win. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't do much to get the loss. I mean. BU, we'll end up talking about it. They have a guy named Macklin Celebrini. He's a 17-year-old uh, center who's going to go first overall in the draft next year. He had three goals on the weekend. He just took over for them when they needed it. Um, a goal that he had no business having to tie the game at three over the shoulder of Harabal. Um, They're a really good team over there, BU. I'm, I'm not hanging my head at all over this. I think having this game in October um, and seeing the fight from this UMass team that they had compared to the the season we had last year, it's it's almost night and day. I mean, I'm I'm I have a lot more hope than I had um, at any point this season, and I've I've been getting pretty hopeful. So um, obviously, we didn't get the exact result we wanted, but um, I'd have to say this this team is looking absolutely fantastic, and I can't wait to see uh, the rest of Hockey East play how we play. Yeah, th this is kind of why I like the fact that we have two people on the pod because you are putting things way more eloquently than I can right now. <laughs> like, I mean, you basically summed up my feelings extremely well. Like, it, I definitely understand what you're saying when you're like, you know, a lot more hope for this team. It may, you know, like we showed very, very great spurts of hockey, you know, throughout, you know, we had, we even had a couple of decent, you know, moments throughout that first game as well, even though the scoreline didn't really reflect it as being a very close game. But like, there were definitely encouraging signs from the weekend as a whole. And 
that's why, I mean, maybe heartbroken wasn't the correct word, but just extremely frustrated, you know, just knowing that we definitely should have split the series and that would have been, you know, I'd be freaking over the moon right now talking about this episode. If we had just squirted away with a three, two win and everything was, you know, coming up Millhouse and looking great, you know, but again, that's, that's just the type of game that, that hockey is, you know, things can change in a split second and, you know, it's, it really is just unfortunate the way that the weekend kind of unfolded just from a, from an overall results perspective, you know, bringing in context, obviously it's, it's a complete 180. you know what I mean? Like we played very, very well on the whole, but I really do wish that it translated into three points and sadly it didn't. Yeah. And, and that's partially due to some referee shenanigans that we'll, mm, we'll get into yeah. that in, a, in a little while, but uh, let's jump into game one. Uh, we'll go over that first. Won't, won't spend as much time talking about this one as as game two. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about there with game two. So uh, game one, not too many crazy changes to the lineup. Owen Murray, who was hurt in Mankato last week, he's back. He's on the top defensive line with Ryan Ufko. Uh, weirdly, it pushed Captain Aaron Bollinger down to be the extra defenseman. We haven't seen that in a while. Um, we kind of think as Aaron Bollinger as one of the top two, three defensemen on this team at times. So a little surprising to see him down there. And then obviously Michael Ravel has been absolutely excellent. Excellent. He's the reigning hockey East goalie of the week. Uh, he got the net in both of these games. So not too many things different there, but uh, the Bollinger one was definitely a little surprising. It was, it was definitely a little bit weird kind of seeing Aaron Bollinger push down as the extra skater. I mean, he sometimes will have like nagging injuries that we obviously don't have complete insight over, but like, you, you know, every now and then you'll have a couple of games where, he might show up as an extra skater. He might be out of the lineup. You know, things happen, obviously. But um, it I'm pretty sure he ended up playing a lot more than the than like the line sheet would suggest. I think during the warmups for game one, he was out there with Lyndon Alger. You know, doing like during the warmups, I think McDermott was the one who was kind of doing the extra skater kind of stuff, like taking shots on the goalies and stuff during the warmups. So it might have been a little bit of gamesmanship from Carvey and the other coaches. I don't know, but. Yeah, overall, I mean, it didn't really look like he was in any sort of, you know, hindered state when it comes to an injury or something like that. He looked like his his normal self out there on the ice playing on the third line. As for the game, we'll get right into it. Uh, UMass uh, started out really hot. Less than a minute into this one, we see UMass with the puck in the offensive zone. Puck's on Scotty Morrow's stick. He kind of skates it in from the blue line. And we see just an absolute beauty of a pass from the right faceoff dot through four BU players in the in the mid slot there, right to this right to the tape of Lautenbach, and he puts it home. UMass is leading goal scorer right now, which is pretty interesting. But um, the story of that goal was an unbelievable pass from Scott Morrow and UMass. Big big goal to get out of the gates hot in game one on the road. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of I wouldn't say poetic, but a little bit symbolic in the sense that you know I think Scott Morrow is one of our top assisters on the team, if not the top assister. I'm going to check that right now and make sure he is. He has seven assists on the season in seven games played. He's averaging one apple per game, which is pretty nuts. You know what I mean? Like that that means, you know, if he doesn't even get any goals, he's still averaging a point per game, which is insanely good pace. But it's also funny that it happened to go to Lautenbach, who's our freaking top goal scorer right now with four on the season. Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that wasn't on everybody's bingo card for the preseason. Like, I don't think anybody was really expecting that sort of goal scoring output from him when we have, you know, a lot of, you know, really talented you know offensive players on this team but no he's been really good at getting them early you know i think it happened a couple weeks ago as well i think he got one in the first like minute or two and he's just 
you know, his energy is just super, super good early on in games, honestly, throughout the entirety of games, but he, he, ten, he tends to get rewarded with goals. And the, the crazy thing, you know, like you mentioned was, was Moro's pass on this. Like we, we rag on him at times with, you know, sometimes being a little bit defensively irresponsible, but at the end of the day, man, he, he's a net positive on the ice. You know what I mean? If he's going to make two defensive errors, he's going to give you three amazing offensive plays. And, you know, that's just the name of the game for Scott Morrow. He's just absolutely insane in the offensive zone. That's, that's his kingdom, you know, and he reigns over it with very, very skillful moves on the puck. And that was a perfect example of it. Yeah. He's just doing what he does best. Uh, the rest of this period, um, pretty evenly played, not too much to write home about um, until UMass gets their first penalty of the game. Cam O'Neill with a boarding call. He's had admittedly a, a pretty disappointing start to the season. Uh, all things considered, it's really early yet, though. He goes to the box, and then Lane Hudson, one of the best players on BU. Uh, he was injured, I believe, and he came back for this game. Um, he kind of just skates with the puck at the blue line, takes a couple steps in, and rips one right past um, Michael Hrabble to make it 1-1. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of one maybe Hrabble wants back. I can't really tell if he's getting insanely screened here. It might have been Bollinger out in front who was not really – helping him out too much on this play. I'm trying to look and make sure, but there was a bit of traffic out in front. You know, Lane Hudson's a shifty dude. He had a very, very quick wrister on this to kind of toe drag it into himself to conceal the shot. And it was a, it was a lightning fast wrister, you know, that right there, you know, I'm pretty sure he was one of the top point scorers in, in the NCAA last season as a whole, as a defenseman, you know, like this, this kid's going to get his offensive, you know, ability shining through whenever he can. And, it's what happened here. You know what I mean? It's on the power play. There's a lot of, you know, things that could definitely go right for BU considering their strength and their, and their speed. And this was a really, really good example of it right here. They're just very good on the puck and that's kind of how they scored here. Yeah. And in, in just a few minutes later, uh, Macklin Celebrini, I mentioned him at the start, uh, definitely get used to that name because he's going to be in the NHL next year, 17 years old. Um, he is, with behind his own goal with the puck um taps the pass to jeremy wilmer and then just an insane individual effort to go all the way up ice he does pass it off and gets it right back but uh he goes around three defenders on his way from end to end of the ice and he's able to put one pass travel just an absolutely insane goal if you're if you get the chance to see it, it was nuts i know i mean th that's the kind of the crazy thing like i'm watching it back and like like when you see him enter the zone it kind of looks like you know, an advantageous position for UMass here. You know what I mean? Like you got three guys, you know, basically in our zone defending three other guys. Like as long as everybody got their man, you should be good to go. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it was, it was some, you know, some really solid skill, but I mean, I think the thing that shines through here is BU speed. Like yeah. BU is an extremely quick, quick team. Celebrini is probably one of their best skaters. You know what I mean? Like his speed is going to shine through. And he makes it look effortless. I think it's Morrow kind of draped over his back. He tries to do the little, you know, stick lift slash combo just to try and mess with him a little bit. Hopefully he mishandles the puck and he just taps it home. You know, he makes it look easy. You, you got to be able to try and keep up with a fast team like BU here. You know what I mean? Like that's how they're going to beat you. And like I said, when they enter the zone, it really kind of looks like a nothing play. You figure, you know, you just D up man to man and you're good to go. And sadly, you know, Celebrini gets in behind Morrow and he's able to tap at home, which is super unfortunate. And especially with only about a minute left in the period, that's really kind of 
kind of a, a punch to the gut right before you kind of get in the locker room and kind of get your bearings in between periods. Yeah, and it comes right after UMass power play. They had two in this period, and they kind of the story of this game, they really looked awful on the power play. I think they had maybe one or two power play shots out of four opportunities this whole night. So um, not taking advantage when they could there. That ends the period, 2-1 to one BU. Um, and BU kind of took over from here, second period. Uh, they were really dominating play in possession, getting a lot of shots and a lot of solid opportunities. Some good goaltending from Harabal. Um, some good defense when it mattered, but BU was really dominating at this point. Um, and then closing towards the end of the second period, we see um, Dylan Peterson and Nick Zabane. Zabane, is that how you say it? Um, Something like that, yeah. I'm not yeah, skating sure. in. Uh, like you, you mentioned BU speed. They just use their speed again. Um, Bollinger's the one guy that's back. I think he doesn't even realize how much speed Dylan Peterson's skating in with because – when I saw the play live, I was getting, I was pretty upset. I was like, why is Bollinger not getting on his stomach to try to block the cross piece, cross crease pass there? I don't even think he saw that Dylan Peterson was skating up the side there. Just some insane speed. Um, they make it look real easy on the cross, cross crease pass, and it's 3 1 BU. I'm watching this one back, and I, I originally did agree with you that I feel like Bollinger kind of did a little bit more. I'm looking at this goal back. I'm blaming SUNY of 100% on this one. Mm. So basically, for, for those who may not be watching the goal live, obviously I'll try to explain the best I can. He's basically just killing in the high slot. BU has a guy on the right wing, completely unmarked. That's supposed to be Suniev's guy because McDermott's closing in on the puck carrier, and that's exactly what you know Bollinger's trying to do too and try and take away the cross crease. Suniev needs to be able to recognize that guy streaking in at the far post and try and get a stick there or just get his body there to try and do something. That is probably, in my opinion, the one major weakness of Suniev's game right now is that he's not very defensively responsible. He is an offensive stalwart. That's the name of his game. He's there to put points up on the board. He still kind of lacks that defensive awareness and that defensive work ethic that really needs to develop and mature as he plays more at UMass. And I think, honestly, he's just kind of gliding in the mid-slot. He's not covering anybody. Like, everybody else basically has a man on them. He's covering useless space right now where there's basically no danger. Like there's a guy skating behind him for BU. He's already marked by two other guys that are kind of sitting around the high slot right there. He needs to recognize the guy going far post and close him down as soon as, as humanly possible. And it's not like it's a case where Suni is not quick. It, it, this is purely a mental lapse right here. I think this goal could have been wholly avoided looking back on it now. I didn't see it as, you know, as the play initially developed as we were watching it live. But looking back on this, and again, I'm no you know coaching expert by any means, but I feel like that has to be Suniev's guy on the back check there because nobody else is even remotely seeing that guy. You know what I mean? And he's easily the closest guy there to even try and make a play. He he has to recognize that going forward. So that's what I think it's on personally. Prabble maybe could have got past a little bit quicker, but it's a freaking cross crease with BU. You know what I mean? Like that he's in no man's land anyway. So yeah, if we're gonna be you know, I don't want to obviously take every goal and start pointing fingers, but that's I feel like that one's definitely on, on Suni up there. Yeah, no, that's a good call. He's kind of just caught puck watching there. So 100 um, percent Uh UMass had two more power plays in this period, and again, nothing really going. Uh we go to the third, BU continuing to kind of control the pace of the game here. Uh Kenny Connors gets a tripping call. BU goes in the power play. Um, their power play was just pretty relentless. Uh you see Macklin Celebrini almost looked like he meant to. Just put a put a shot off the right pad of Michael Harabble. They get a really juicy rebound, and uh, 
the guy that cleans us up is Ryan Green, who kind of has tormented UMass in the last couple of seasons uh, playing against him. So that made it 4-1 and, and really put this one out of reach. Yeah, I mean, that's just – I think special teams was kind of the name of the game for the for, for game one here. I mean, we were, for lack of a better term, just completely anemic on our power play. Like, we genuinely couldn't even get set up in our own zone. We were missing passes. We were playing like absolute garbage with the puck, you know, on our sticks when it came to playing on the power play. They were the complete opposite. They were very dominant in their zone on the power play. They were controlling the pace of the play. They were, you know, getting set up the way that they wanted to, making shots, making passes, basically just imposing their will on us. And this right here was a perfect example of it. We just couldn't match up with them even remotely on the penalty kill. Like we had an amazing penalty kill against Minnesota State. Our special teams were absolutely, I don't want to say like disgraceful, but they they were not up to par this weekend, I don't think. Yeah, it, they just weren't where they needed to be. Um, and yeah, BU took advantage two times. Spoiler alert, they take advantage on Saturday's game as well, but we'll get there. Um, we did see a pretty nice goal from Taylor McCarr. Uh, and, and the real solid effort here came from Ryan Lautenbach, who uh, used his speed got around three BU defenders and just chipped the puck out in front of the net. You see Lucas Mercury pick it up, and it's just an easy little cross-crease pass to Taylor to make it 4-2. to two. That was – I mean, it, Ryan Lautenbach was kind of the star of this game for UMass, I would say. 100%. I mean, and I think I think this line as a whole has been very underrated kind of as the season's kind of started off. Like, the this line does a lot of the little things correctly. Like, I think Lautenbach has had a very, very improved season so far compared to last season. I think just, you know, he's getting on the scoreboard a lot more, which basically is kind of the, the main improvement that we were trying to see out of him from, from last season. You know, he was playing with very good energy. He was forechecking correctly, backchecking correctly, but he just wasn't, his shot just wasn't there. You know what I mean? He just wasn't scoring at the rate that we would like to see him. And it was kind of the same thing with Mercury. You know, he was a big body, big physical presence, but just really couldn't really get any sort of goal scoring or just offensive stuff going. We're starting to see the offense click a lot more on this line. Like Taylor, unfortunately enough, I think this was his first goal of the season. So he hasn't really been getting up on the score sheet like he did last season just yet, but I think it's going to develop in time. I think this, this line has been steadily improving over the course of the season so far. And I think this was a really good just kind of microcosm of all the things that this line does well is just forecheck very hard, play very aggressive, very physical, and that's what we did. We got the puck into a good open space in the slot, and we were able to capitalize on it. So I really want to see more of this going forward because this is a very energy-oriented line, and I think the energy was really what made this goal what it was. Yeah, and it was a nice little bright spot on this game that uh, it's kind of out of reach at this point. Yeah, um, Good to see that that hustle still. I mean, last year's team, we, we watched it a lot. You kind of expect them to kind of give up and kind of turtle in on this game, mm -hmm. uh, but this team doesn't seem to want to do that. Uh, still giving the, the that high effort even in the third period when the game's kind of out of reach, which was nice to see. Luke Tuck for BU got an empty net goal um, in the last minute. He had a, a very impressive weekend. I was really impressed with his game as well. But that seals it. Final score was five to two BU. Um, pretty tough game overall. BU almost doubled UMass up in shots, I believe. So. Um, not the best effort, but definitely some promising signs at least. Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, like you said, like Luke Tuck, I just wanted to mention that real quick. He was freaking dominant as hell this weekend. Like he's, he, like, I think you said it during the second game, um, probably one of the strongest players we've ever seen, you know, just play against UMass ever. Mm -hmm. Like 
you try and hit him, he'll reverse hit the hell out of you, and you're going to be the one that's ended up on your ass at the end of the hit. It happened I mean? at least three or four times. This I want to say like maybe six or seven. Honestly, yeah. it was it was absolutely insane. So I mean, that's not to say that you know you can't fault the effort from UMass. There, we're trying to hit him. You know, you got to try to line him up and bump him off the puck and do something. I think that happened maybe twice to Owen Murray. Not to not to call him out, but like mm-hmm. you know, you gotta you gotta love the enthusiasm and the effort. But he was getting planted. You know what I mean? So. That's just the type of team that BU is, you know, again, very strong, very, very, you know, quick. It's just they kind of have all the physical tools that you kind of need to be a successful hockey player. They're an extremely physical team. And I think that was one of the big difference makers that kind of allowed them to win this game. Yeah, for sure. And I have a um, a quote here from Coach Carville about his his thoughts on this one. I thought it was pretty interesting. He said, I knew to be successful here tonight, there was a style of game we needed to play, especially without the puck. It just wasn't where it needed to be. I thought we got off to a decent start. Obviously, we scored early and we were playing all right. Then we take a bad penalty, and this one penalty allows them to score, which changes the momentum on the road. We have a lot of new players who are not used to playing in these games. It was pretty evident to me. The mistakes we made were mostly by our first-year guys. I still like our team. I know we'll grow into a team that can handle playing these kinds of games on the road, but right now we're not quite there. And I think that quote from Carvey kind of shows off that Obviously, that penalty that Cam O'Neill took, and like you were ex- uh, explaining before, that Adar Suniev yeah. um, mistake on on that goal, um, kind of making it a two on one when it didn't need to be. So uh, I think Carvey's right there. A few few mistakes from the younger guys that they'll learn from um, in their first really tightly contested hockey East game. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of you know we we've had our woes against the against the com app schools you know what I mean? or like or like the you know the boston schools if you will i guess if you want to lump in bc chestnut hill haha the classic but that's kind of my point is that i feel like they've just kind of had our number and i think the the main difference between us and them is mainly in terms of just like freshman impact like i feel like yes our freshmen have been certainly leading the way this season but i feel like you know historically and even for a little bit this season like that we don't have you know like a celebrini you know what i mean or like we don't have like guys that like bc have where they're just straight up like top 10 picks that are gonna like solo carry a line besides musa musa's been insane don't get me wrong you know what i mean but like i feel like you know they don't really have guys that are making like you know mental errors like that you know they they have guys that are maybe just a bit more mature at this point in their hockey career where they can, they can put up really, really good numbers, but also play, you know, a very solid, you know, mental, mental hockey game where, you know, there are times where, you know, we can't necessarily always lean on our freshmen to kind of lead the way, you know, mm-hmm. that are usually, at least this is just what I've noticed through the past, you know, seven, eight years of watching UMass hockey. We kind of have to have our freshmen grow into it. You know, we don't really have like amazing, like, straight off the bat 40 point score in a season freshman guys you know like mm-hmm. that didn't even happen to kale freaking mccarr you know what i mean he had what 17 points in his first season something we, like that yeah we don't we don't really have guys that are just gonna set the world on fire year one and i think Muson's probably the closest that we have to that in recent memory but even then you know what i mean like nobody's a perfect hockey player but it just seems like with these boston schools that have had our number they got dudes like you know like cutter you know, for, for BC and guys like Macklin and Celebrini for freaking BU. Like we just, we don't have that right now. And I don't know if we ever will, you know what I mean? That's just not really our coaching and recruiting style. I get that. And I can accept that, but I feel like that really has been the X factor against these schools recently. It's just 
having that freshman phenom that's just going to completely steamroll a team because, you know, he, he's literally, for lack of a better term, him. You know, like they, those other teams just kind of have those guys. So I don't know if you have, a, have anything to say on that, but that was just kind of my initial thought. Well, no, but your, your thoughts on Musa kind of perfectly transitioned us into game two. Um, in terms of the lineup, uh, they usually get printed out and distributed at the games. Um, they got printed out on Saturday, and there was a really late change to the mm-hmm. lineup. Uh, originally, um, Jack Musa was on the third line with Suniev and Lushmelis. Uh, he has been ever since Lushmelis came back. Um, he got a, he got late switched with Cole O'Hara. So mm-hmm. Musa moved up to the second line with Cameron and Connors. Very, very interesting to me, at least. Um, not surprising to see Musa get pulled up a line with how well he's been playing, but the fact that it was late, um, just a few minutes before game time, that's very strange to me. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what would really go into that. I Again, I don't know if it's like some weird gamesmanship thing. I mean, I don't really see how much it would like completely change a, the opposing coach's thought process. Like, mm-hmm. you'd probably still roll the same lines against, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think it was more or less just kind of a last second, like, the coaching staff probably met up and just said, hey, man, Yus is killing it right now. He's been I, – I feel like it's pretty fair to say our best forward by a fairly considerable margin. I don't think that's a hot take in any stretch of the imagination. He, like, offensively and especially throughout this entire game, he was an absolute freaking beast. You know, he genuinely – and I know that this – you know, the, the comparison has been thrown around a ton, and it's very tough to, you know, take that lightly. But, yes, he genuinely did look like Bobby Trevino. Like – Mm-hmm. just absolutely insane. it's not stretch, on, it's not a stretch at no, all to say no. that yeah. like he, he just he could do whatever he wanted with the puck like he genuinely looked like he was in control of the puck at any at any moment of the game if it's even remotely close to him he could make a play in a split second like i feel like i haven't seen that in the past couple of seasons like just somebody that can literally do whatever they want and it doesn't even matter who's defending him. He's going to get around him or make a make an amazing play to prevent an offsides or whatever. Like, And I think he has that ability to carry his own line like that. And let's be honest, I feel like, you know, the Connors, Cameron, and Ahara line hasn't really been it so far this early in the season. I feel like it was a very smart tactical decision because you want to you wanna get guys like Michael Cameron and Kenny Connors going. Like, Connors, I think, is probably one of our most trusted face-off guys but he really hasn't been getting it offensively. He's had the looks, but he just doesn't have that end product right now. I don't know what it is. Like, he's been fanning on one-timers. I don't know if it's, like, this weird mental block thing, but just, again, offensively, he hasn't really had it. His hands maybe have just, like, regressed a little bit. I don't know. I, I can't I, I can't say for sure. But same thing with Michael Cameron. He had a very decent start to the season. I think he had a goal or two. You know, I think it was in the first game. But that was – basically it you know that that whole line's kind of gone radio silent ever since so i feel like putting musa out there to try and kickstart the boys back up again and give them a little bit of help i think was a really really smart decision yeah and uh didn't necessarily pay off right away but more on musa um as as we keep going here uh into this game umass can i mean spoiler alert they controlled the tempo this entire game uh, there wasn't really a stretch where they didn't control the tempo. Um, and BU had to resort to getting a little sloppy. They took a bunch of penalties in this one. Um, and their first one comes about halfway through the first period. UMass on the power play. And we saw just one of the prettiest power play goals that we've seen from UMass in a while. Uh, Musa got a pass from Kenny Connors, kind of near the blue line. He skates in. 
uh, threads the needle to Scott Morrow, who threads the needle right back to him for the cross crease, and Musa puts it home to make it one nothing. Dude, this play was friggin' stupid. <laughs> like, there, there's no other way to put it. Like, I was trying to come up with like some sort of cool way to describe this. Dude, this goal was dumb. Like, I, I cannot believe that this happened. Like, I'm trying to figure out exactly who it was on the secondary apple, and then I have to check the Connor score. It was Connors on it. Okay, yep. I couldn't tell. I was literally just saying offensively, he hasn't been the greatest recently. That was a lovely little turnaround pass to get that over to Musa. Like, very, very well done by him to have that vision just to thread the needle there. And that's probably the last thing that BU is going to want is to have Musa with nobody within five feet of him to <laughs> basically do whatever the hell he wants. That's probably the most dangerous offensive thing that UMass can have is Musa in open space. So if we can maximize that as much as humanly possible, that's amazing because his hands are lightning quick. He could have either taken a shot there. He could have either passed it over like he ended up doing tomorrow, and then he got the give and go right back. You literally, the way that I have this video paused right now, looking back at it, you see Loch Mellis in front of the net, literally with one hand on his stick and his right arm pointing at Moro, saying, please give it to him. He's wide open, literally directing traffic out front while he's screening the tendy. And you just see the most beautiful give and go of all time. Moro, hands of silk, receives it amazingly and passes it across. It's literally harder for Musa to miss than to score here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. wide open net, sprawling Karan, beautiful goal. And at this point, I was going insane. I think the entirety of Mullins was going insane because I was like, if we could do this, you know, basically every weekend, we we could genuinely win every game going forward because this is by far the best that I've seen UMass's power play look in a while. Like we look terrible the night prior. And I remember telling you before the game, and I remember we were talking to some other people in the Commonwealth club before the game, it sounds insane to say, but I think the bigger ice actually helped us out a lot more here mm -hmm. because I think, yes, BU is the faster, stronger team. I get that. But I think having more overall space to work with when the pucks in our possession is going to help us not let them close us down as much. And we'd be able to make the, the smarter play because we would just have, you know, an extra half a second, for them to not be able to close us down because we have more space to work with. And I think that's what happened here. We had so much open space and we took care of it. And, you know, we used it beautifully to our advantage and it worked out to a very, very well-worked goal. Yeah, really pretty goal. Um, and UMass dominated the rest of this period. Uh, they take it to the locker room, one nothing. But uh, honestly, if they're if it weren't for a couple of key saves from Carone, um, could have been more than that. So one nothing going into the second. Uh, BU still taking a bunch of penalties. A uh, little, little less than halfway through, um, BU takes their fourth penalty. Um, UMass hadn't even gotten one at this point, so um, Devin Kaplan. And UMass does a good job of uh, trying to get score on the power play, but they don't. And BU takes the puck over in the most inopportune time. This ends up being one of the luckiest hockey goals I've ever seen. Um, BU picks up the puck as soon as Kaplan comes out of the box. And they're able to just give a stretch pass to him, and he's all alone on a breakaway. Prabble can do nothing about it and makes it 1 1 uh, totally against the play uh, on the ice that we were seeing. Yeah, I mean, this, like, you want to talk about a bad bounce and just overall bad luck. I mean, I remember, I think we were talking to somebody in between in the intermission, and I can't verify this yet, but I heard a rumor that apparently Prabble might not have been tapping a stick on the ice to let them know that the penalty was almost over. That's a bit of a mental lapse if that was the case. I feel like at the end of the day, though, you still have to be a bit more aware 
as a defenseman just to even think, you know, is the penalty going to be over here? You know, like what's what's the overall context of the situation that I'm playing defense in right now? And I feel like, yeah, it's a really, really, you know, bad break for us. But I feel like if you had just that little bit more of a wherewithal to just look up at the clock, even for a millisecond, I feel like this could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just a super, super unfortunate break. And that's the, another, just another major reason why I feel like maybe not heartbroken, but just extremely frustrated with how this game went is just kind of the word that I'm using because damn dude, like we were playing unbelievable up until this point, And it felt like that this goal was completely against the run of play, like the most undeserved goal I could literally think of. Yeah. Um, but they count just the same, right? So, yeah. uh, one, one after this, um, Later on in this period, we see a really uh, a play that really gets under our skin. Um, the classic uh, hook or trip call. It was hooking in this case on BU, and they call an embellishment penalty on Kenny Connors. Uh, we always say we never understand how that's even possible. If if the penalty actually happened, the hooking in this case, how how could he have embellished it? And uh, if he embellished, doesn't that mean there wasn't actually a penalty in the first place? We always get so frustrated over it, but they called it. Um, Connors didn't even like go down on this. So I have no idea how you call embellishment, um, hockey special right there, but the hockey gods were looking down on UMass, um, cause puck don't lie. Uh, Los Mellis, he's, uh, he's defending on BU trying to break out of their own zone. He just takes the puck right back. And then he slips one five hole on Corona. He, one Corona probably wants back. He, he threw his head up in disgust that he let it go in, but an incredible solo effort from Los Mellis to get the unassisted goal on the four and four. Real quick, that embellishment call can screw off <laughs> for lack for to try and keep this uh, PG friendly. But yeah, no, that call was absolutely insane. I mean, I feel like we're not in any sort of like vocal minority. Like I feel like a lot of people think that you shouldn't have an embellishment call when there's like an original call to go off of. Like, is the thought process of the referee like, yeah, you were getting hooked, but not enough for us to call it? but enough for you to fake it. So then we can call it like it, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Like you're either you're getting hooked or you're not like, you shouldn't make a halfway judgment call and say, actually, yeah, he was doing it, but you're going to go into the box too, because he wasn't doing it enough. Like it makes zero sense to me, but like you said, puck don't lie. This right here, in my opinion, this Loach Mellis goal is basically a perfect microcosm of everything that he's going to bring to this team. Like, his his back check on this play was very, very good. Like, that's just the type of game that he's going to play. Because I remember me and you, we were worried when this went to four on four. We were thinking, oh, crap. Now they're going to, you know, if they get the puck in their possession, they're going to show off the speed. They're going to have a lot more space to work with, and they're going to punish us. And that is very well what could have happened here if Los Melis didn't get to this puck. Like, he strips the guy cleanly. As you said, all right, maybe not the best shot in the world, right? but that is his game is goal scoring off of very, very smart turnovers and back checks in, in, in his own zone. He is a very defensively responsible player. And I feel like, yeah, it might not have been the best shot in the world, but just the effort alone really led to that play happening. And as long as you get it on net, man, anything can happen. And that's exactly what happened here. It doesn't have to be the most sexy shot of all time. As long as you get it on net, you're putting yourself in a spot to succeed because that's the number one thing that I hate is when you get a really, really good look and you blast it three feet over the bar. You know what I mean? Like put it on net, force the goalie to try and do something about it. 
And that was exactly what he did. And he got rewarded for it. So very happy for this being his first collegiate goal. And I really think he's going to look back at this and we're going to say, yeah, no, this is exactly what he was going to bring to the table because he is a very well-rounded two-way player. Yeah, it was it was nice to see and hopefully a lot more of that as we go throughout this year. Um, and hopefully a lot more of how UMass played to close out the seconds. They just yes, absolutely dominated play in the first and second and third too, but um, just really liked what we saw from them. They got rewarded here. Obviously, you said not the not the best shot, but when you're playing well, you're going to get rewarded. So uh, two to one going into the intermission. UMass uh, only had those two penalties, and one of them was the um, embellishment call, and BU had five. So we were sitting there in the second intermission thinking, uh, oh, Hockey East rest of the Boston school. They're probably going to do what they can to even out the penalties a little bit. And wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what happened to start the third period. Ryan Ufko goes to the box on a holding call where he had the puck on his stick. They whistle him for holding, um, which was pretty weird. And then Aaron Bollinger, um, he, he probably deserved this one, uh, a boarding call um, to make it a five-on-three power play. BU didn't score on the five-on-three, but once Upco came out, they scored shortly after that. A little cross-crease pass. Um, UMass defense was scrambling, and wouldn't you know it, Macklin Celebrini puts it in to tie the game. There's something a little bit poetic to be said about having both of our captains in the box and having them both be probably some of our most accomplished penalty killers. Like they're probably two of the most important guys that we have when it comes to killing penalties. And the fact that they were both in the box is just like, what the hell, man? You know what I mean? Like you got to be a bit more disciplined than that. I get the Ufco one. And honestly, to an extent, I kind of get the, the, the Bollinger one. If like from the perspective of like a UMass fan, like I don't, they, they seem both a little soft to me. I don't even know if I would call that 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 a board. I might have been confusing it with uh, it might have been like a Vanderboys call from I don't know if it was the previous game or from this game, but I just remember there being a boarding call where I'm sitting there like he he's just bumping him in the back a little bit. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just the boards play. You know, like you're there to try and trap him up against the boards and have your you know have your teammate try and dig the puck out from underneath them. I don't think there was anything malicious in that hit because there were multiple other moments in this game where a very similar play happened that ended up being a non-call for BU, which I think is just really, really inconsistent. But then again, we're also dealing with hockey East refs. So that's kind of the, uh, the, the lay of the land, if you will. I mean, we should just be expectant of that, which is not the proper way to have the outlook on these things, but that's the reality that we face because hockey East refs are not amazing. And I don't want to turn this into, you know, hockey East ref podcast, but I feel like it does need to be said because it does get a little bit egregious at times, but, yeah, no, I mean, Celebrini is probably be one of the easier goals that he'll score off of a simple cross crease, you know, basically a wide open net. Grabble does what he can. He's a big body and he tries to sprawl out, but he can only cover so much of the net. And Celebrini can basically pick any corner that he wants with his with his shooting ability. If you give him two inches of space, he's going to make you pay. So he had a lot more than two inches to work with. And unfortunately, he did make us pay. So. Yeah, it sucks, and this is where I was like, "Ah, crap!" Like, I'm really hoping that we don't choke it away here because normally we're a pretty good third period team, but I feel like this was not our best showing in the third period. Hey, to their credit, I I think UMass stayed pretty strong. Um, just yeah. a couple minutes later, a really good answer. Kind of, you see Adar mm-hmm. Sinyev, um, kind of kind of wheeling around in their uh, UMass um, offensive zone. It's even strength five on five. And he just finds himself a lot of space and just absolutely snipes one past Karan to make it three to two. And Mullins was bumping at this point with 10 minutes left in the period. I love this kid. 
<laughs> I straight up love this kid. I've been singing my praises of him as you guys, if you're a loyal listener and you've been listening to, you know, all of our episodes, you know how I feel about him. And I feel like I say this most episodes, but yeah, this is exactly what I expected out of a guy like him, you know, clutch goals and very, very just strong on the puck. Like he screams, you know, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but he seems like a BU player to me. You know what I mean? Like he's very strong. He's very quick, very, very good shot on him. And all of that was perfectly on display here. You know what I mean? He was able to shield the puck away from one of the, you know, the, you know, pressuring BU players. He was able to find the soft spot in the high slot. There was multiple bodies in front. He didn't have a lot of space to shoot at. And he ended up picking, picking the side of the net perfectly where it could just float right in. Karan had no idea where it was at. And it was a perfectly shot puck. You know, usually I like to say the term piss missile. This was a twine seeking missile. You know, this one had, you know, the, the radar was in full effect. The, this goal was sponsored by Raytheon. Like it had everything going for it. It found the soft spot where it needed to go. And the celly on this one too, kind of a kind of a, a slept on thing that we don't really talk about too often. But his celly on this was pretty freaking electric. I'll be honest. The, the drop to one knee, fist pump, he was killing it. I'm pretty sure uh, Owen Murray was getting hype on this one as he was uh, skating over. This team has a lot of energy. You know what I mean? I think that this team really, really, again, deserved to get the win here because they were playing so hard in this game. And I feel like a lot of our goals were very well deserved. And I, we were all flying so high after this goal. This was such a great moment. Absolutely. And and UMass continued to play strong. BC really turned up the or BU, sorry, uh really <laughs> turned up the pressure as they went along here at the end of the third. Um, when they were about to pull their goalie, um, really sick of having to say this guy's name. Macklin Celebrini found the puck on his stick um at about the left faceoff dot. Um, and Parables pushed against the a post. It looks like there's absolutely no room to score a goal here. Not even a position you'd think a guy would shoot from. Celebrini rips one on net and finds the two inches of space above Prabble's shoulder, where there's a little bit of a little bit of twine there. Um, Prabble looked like he was screened a little bit too. Just an insane goal from an insane hockey player, and I'm so sick of having to talk about this guy. Yeah, like, I I want to move past this one because I mean I feel like there's really not a whole lot. Like maybe you know you try and close him down a little bit quicker and try and just take away more of that space so he doesn't have much net to shoot from. But this is one of those classic cases where you got bodies out in front. You're just praying that he doesn't pick the soft spot. You know what I mean? There's there's not a lot of space for him to shoot it. Prabble's a big dude taking up a lot of the net. You basically need a pin a pinpoint accurate shot here in order to score. You had a one percent chance of scoring, and that's what he freaking did. You know what I mean? I feel like I don't want to say unlucky, but I mean this again. I feel like it's so against the run of play. Like we had so many good scoring chances. Karan absolutely freaking robbed us. I want to say two or three times in the last five minutes of this period. We looked so good in our offensive zone. We were peppering him with shots. We were looked very physical. We were playing great along the boards, playing low to high passes and getting good shots from the D-men with screens. We were doing everything the way that this team wanted to impose its identity. Like, you know, like we, we hear from Carvey a lot, you know, we're still trying to find our identity. And then sometimes we play really well. We say we did find our identity. That third period was our freaking identity, at least offensively. Like all we need to get is one or two, you know, not 10 bell saves from freaking Quran, and we're winning this game 5-2 and we're smiling. You know what I mean? But 
we got robbed and then we got some BS from this guy going the other end. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it sucks. What can I say? But I, I really do in my heart of hearts think that we should have squeaked by with a win in this game. I think just nothing was going right in terms of just like pure luck, mm. you know, on the first goal and the third goal, you know, just very, very, you know, low percentage, like random bounces that lead to half chances that they just happen to freaking put away. And I, I don't want to sound like a salty UMass fan, but it's just, it seemed very, very unfortunate. Yeah. And Carvey always says you get what you deserve. And mm-hmm. this is the, the number one instance that I've ever seen in my mind of that not being the case. Yeah. Uh, usually you do, but UMass really just didn't get what they deserved here. Um, this game goes to overtime. So they still have a chance to win. Um, and I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but we see some more ref shenanigans in overtime. I think it was on Scott Morrow both times. Yep. Uh, he got hit really awkwardly from behind, um, went into the into the boards behind the net. Definitely should have been a call. I feel like they call that nine times out of ten in this league. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Um, about a minute, maybe less than a minute later, Morrow's skating with the puck in the neutral zone, and player just takes a dive at his legs, takes him down. Um, te- absolute textbook tripping call. You would think you'd see that be called 10 times out of 10. Um, and it doesn't get called and it kills UMass in overtime. Nobody ends up scoring. So, um, really, really frustrating. And I don't, I don't even know how you could justify not calling penalties on both of those. Yeah. I mean, I completely disagree, but I mean, I have my own kind of issues when it comes to, you know, three on three overtime in general, I, you know, me and you, I think we're pretty aligned on this. Three on three overtime sucks. Like, and you yeah. can correct me if uh, if I'm wrong, but I feel like I can speak for both of us there. Like, it's basically just you're sitting around cycling in your own zone, praying to get some sort of you know open rush look, and then you don't even want to take the rush look because you're too worried about missing a pass, and you have a two on one going the other way. Like, it feels like you're not even allowed to take any chances because the moment that you take a chance and you don't convert on it, you basically you've lost the game. Like it's just a giant microcosm waiting for one big moment. And regardless of if the puck goes in and, you know, in that moment or not, you basically know who's going to win the game after that moment, because it's either going the other way and it's probably going in your net on like a two on O or a two on one, or you're obviously going to score the game, you know, you're going to score the game winner right there. So, I mean, I hate it personally. And just the fact that, you know, we basically had two or three major turnovers off of non calls there. Mm-hmm. where Hrabble has to either come up big or we have to have the most monumental defensive play of all time to even have a chance to continue the overtime. It got to the point with like two minutes left. I'm looking over at you and I'm like, dude, just play for the shootout at this point. Like, I don't think it's worth it because this is where BU is meant to shine is in these one-on-one scenarios where you can try and get around your guy and then put in a really good skillful or, you know, a speed oriented pass where somebody can just take advantage of a soft spot in defense. That's what they do. It's already happened multiple times in this series. So I didn't really like our chances. And yeah, it just, it, it was a scary five minutes for sure. And that's why, I mean, I just feel like we played so much better 5v5. Yeah. I feel like 5v5 is the way you should end a game regardless. It's the most pure f- form of hockey. You know what I mean? Like you're not sitting there practicing for three on three scenarios because they're so rare. I feel like three on three shouldn't shouldn't exist and that would be regardless of how this period went you know what i mean like i'd be saying the same thing regardless so yeah I hate it. no it, it and umass uh really got the opportunity to get a win on their record taken away from them um 
I didn't I didn't hear your thoughts. Do you uh did you say you disagreed with the penalty calls or the yeah I did I did as well. Yeah, no, I mean I just I I they should have been called. You know what I mean? Like like, I Scott Morrow should have been like he I remember it clear as day. He was literally taking the puck down on the left hand side, trying to like wheel around the net basically to try and get, you know, some sort of low to high pass just to keep the cycle going. And literally a guy dives at his feet and just takes him out. Like if that is not a textbook tripping call, I don't know what is. Like I and there like don't get me wrong, like I feel like there might have been like one or two calls, you know, from UMass's end that probably could have been taken back. I feel like it was inconsistent as hell on both sides. Mm-hmm. But like this, I understand the concept of, you know, letting the boys play. I get that. And I'm usually a fan of that. But when it's this egregious, come the hell on, man. You know what I mean? Because he gets taken down and they start going up on a three on two the other way. We could have easily been scored on that, you know, in, in that scenario, especially when it's Scott Morrow, who granted, as we've said, probably isn't the best defensive defenseman anyway, but he's still a defenseman at the end of the day. Now we got two forwards coming back trying to defend the rush. You know what I mean? It's It, it was scary stuff. And I feel like that is definitely – you know, on the refs there because they, they gotta, they gotta keep control of the game. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not how you referee a hockey game. So yeah, I agree with you. It was, it was not great by them. Yeah. And uh, obviously this one goes into a shootout. So no opportunity for either team to take home the win on the record, but that extra hockey East point still up for grabs right here. And uh, I think it needs to be talked about. We, we had the conversation last year more than once, I believe about how we were kind of confused about how coach Carvel picks his players for the shootout. You could say what you want about the shootout, how much you don't like it, how much you mm-hmm. don't think it should count um, in terms of the hockey East standings, but it's here to stay and it does count. So it's something that does have to be taken seriously. And I think the both of you, uh, the both of us talked about it on Saturday night. Um, Coach Carvel's picks for who should go in the shootout for UMass have been a little confusing over the last few years. Um, you, you predicted it right away, and it was a good mm-hmm. call on your part that Ryan Ufko would go. Um, he's a D-man. Obviously, he has a lot of skill, um, but not a ton of skill at scoring the puck in those breakaway situations. Um, Harvey's been putting him in the shootout for a while now, so good call on your part. Um, and then Michael Cameron and, and Jack Musa, who Musa, I, I actually agree with putting him in there, but uh, very, I think Ufko's kind of the outlier there. Not really weird to start off with him right after BU opens the shootout with a goal. So I just looked back actually, as you were explaining that whole thing, because I was curious and I didn't look this up before we started recording. So I remember during Hartman exhibition, I was live tweeting the whole game and I ended up making a tweet about who we sent out during like kind of the, the pre-planned shootout scenario mm-hmm. that they had against Dartmouth. We had the exact same three guys do the shootout in the scenario as well. So Ufko scored against Dartmouth, and then Michael Cameron scored, but Musa went in between. So we changed around the the like the the order. So we we opened up with Ufko in both scenarios, but this time we had Cameron go second, and then Musa go third. So I I mean I basically knew the three guys that were going to go just based off history. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with those with those being the guys. So I mean I guess for context in the Dartmouth game, Ufko did score. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, he's like a net negative on, on shootouts. Like he's, he's shown that he could do it before. Same thing with Michael Cameron. Like Michael Cameron in the Dartmouth game also also scored in the shootout. Musa didn't. So, I mean, 
I understand kind of having, you know, like your three guys that you say, like, you know, these are the guys that I want to send out. They're going to be like our shootout specialists, if you will. You know what I mean? And the one that I probably have the most faith in is Michael Cameron because mm-hmm. he has done it. You know, he he's had he, – I'm pretty sure he already has a breakaway goal this season. I think that happened against AIC. I think that's his only goal in the season was a breakaway. And he also scored in the shootout against Dartmouth. So he's basically two for two in these scenarios. So, I mean, I get that pick 100%. And honestly, in the shootout, he was the one that probably had our best chance of scoring. Like, Ufko's first attempt, I didn't like it. It was a simple little backhand to forehand, just try and tuck it around the guy. Didn't work. He got stoned, basically, at the far post. Michael Cameron, I don't want to say too much, because if some random hockey coach is listening and, you know, we start revealing Michael Cameron's secrets, I'd feel a little bad. But let's be honest, he has one move, and he's done it every single time. It's the classic. He takes it on his backhand glides over to his forehand on the left side and then tries to shoot it. You know, he basically floats it top corner on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what he did on this attempt. And he had the goalie beat by a country mile and he just roofed it over the net. Like he just, he didn't get the shot on net that he wanted to. And Musa, I mean, I understand picking Musa as well, because let's be honest, he's probably our best forward right now. He probably has the best hands and he's a hot hand right now. You got to ride the guy who's playing very well. He didn't get it done either. Like. That's kind of been a, a common theme with us, I feel like, is that we just haven't been getting it done in the shootout. We didn't last year in Belfast. We we didn't right now. I'm pretty sure we had – were there any other scenarios last year where we – There were we a did? couple. Yeah, yeah, there were a couple. So, I mean, that's been kind of, you know, a, I don't want to say a problem area because it's not really hockey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really something that you should – inherently practice for it's just kind of one of those odd scenarios but at the end of the day i feel like i don't know if it's a case of just picking different players to try and give them different looks maybe they scouted us out you know what i mean maybe teams understand that these are our three guys and they know what we're going to do because usually a lot of guys will kind of have their dedicated shootout move that they like to do maybe they scouted it out and they knew i'm not sure but it, it definitely didn't get the job done because we end up losing this one, which which really, really sucks. Well, you say lose. We didn't lose. We lost the shootout. That's what um, I said. I meant, I meant in reference yeah. to the shootout. This one goes as a tie in UMass's record. Uh, they lost the shootout, one nothing. So a tie for both UMass and BU. BU took the extra hockey East points. So BU gets two hockey East points. UMass gets one. BU takes five total on the weekend. UMass gets one. Uh, in, in a game that UMass really deserved to get three. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, it was pretty pretty frustrating not getting three. Um, the the pace of the game and the look in the field definitely made it seem like they should get three. But um, I feel – I'm happy this game happened in October because I feel like it shows the skill and the ability that this UMass team has and their ability to skate with really anyone. I mean, the last three weeks now they've played against ranked opponents – and they've looked really good. Um, they they beat Michigan. They swept Minnesota State. Um, and, and they almost came away with a win here. So um, really promising signs. And I, I think a lot of things that the team can build off of as we as they go into the the, the weaker Hockey East opponents on the schedule. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I definitely think that we were playing well. I think to steal one of Carvey's quotes, and this might get us demonetized in some way, shape, or form, but he literally says, throw good shit on the pile. Like that, and that is what we did. You know what I mean? I mean, I can't think of, you know, moments where we had negative, you know, like body energy or like, you know, body language where we're just sitting there like, 
you know, things, there were definitely moments throughout this entire weekend where things did not go our way. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the first goal against in, in game two, when it just comes to, you know, getting this really weird, you know, guy comes out of the box in for a breakaway at a perfect time. We didn't get deflated off that. We didn't start playing like crap. You know what I mean? We said, screw it. You move on, you keep going. I feel like last season we had moments where we were just, you know, I don't want to say like we felt sorry for ourselves, but like there were just moments where we didn't respond the way that we should have. I feel like this team has, it might be leadership based. I'm not sure, but just overall, the overall kind of culture and mindset of this team is just much different compared to previous years. I think we have that competitive kind of, you know, national championship level edge to us, if that makes sense. I don't want to start making crazy, you know, expectations out of nowhere now, but I genuinely feel like we have, you know, that sort of mindset and that sort of ability around our team again. Like we kind of, we have our swagger back a little bit. You know, we're, we're feeling like we can compete against the best of the best because we already have at, at multiple points this season. Like when we were looking at the season preview, we weren't expecting to even be a 500 team right now. I think either of us. I think we were expecting to squirt out of our first, you know, six, seven games with like a three and four record, if that, maybe two and five. The fact that we're even above 500 right now, awesome, amazing. So, yeah. I mean, I started off this episode kind of feeling a little bit, I don't want to say like doom and gloom, but I felt a little, you know, meh, like this kind of, I wish we, you know, I wish we got more. But if we play like this the rest of the season, man, good shit's going to start happening. That's going to be, you know, throwing good stuff onto the pile. So, I really, really think that I think, you know, this could be kind of not, I don't want to say a turning point, but like, I think we can start getting that momentum going back for us again, because we don't really have any teams that are BU level for quite a bit, you know, throughout, throughout, you know, a, a decent chunk of the season. I think we're, we're going what Northeastern. And then we got a, a back-to-back with Vermont right after mm-hmm. those are three, in my opinion, extremely winnable games. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I think Coach Carvey agrees with us as well. I have, I have a quote from him after this game. It was really good bounce back by our guys tonight. I thought we played a really strong game. I thought the BU goalie stood on his head and made a lot of big saves for them. Kept the game close, and we shot ourselves on the foot a couple times. The penalties in the third period caught up to us, but I really liked our game. I really liked this team. Last night was probably the first game this year that I wasn't happy with this group, and they responded really well tonight. So, um, love to see a te- the team bounce back um, after words of encouragement from the coach, um, turn it around and, and look a lot better in the second night. I really like that improvement, and I think it could benefit us as we go uh, throughout the season. you got to remember, it's still super early. It's still October. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I, I enjoy maybe like the candidness of, of, of Carvey there. I mean, Carvey's never one to mince words. You know what I mean? He's going to tell you how he's feeling. And I, I think that's a really good quote because he's, he's open and honest about kind of the expectations of the team. He said straight up last night in what is admittedly a very tough game. When you look at it in the context of hockey East, basically consensus number one team in basically the entire nation, you know, when it came to preseason polls and stuff like that, BU was the team. So for us to, you know, go in to an away game against BU, you know, one of the better teams and have him say that he was, you know, upset with the way that we played and he wasn't happy with how they did just shows how much he believes in this team because he was expecting a different outcome. Like, obviously, as a coach, you're going to expect to win every game, right? But you want to be 
you know, realistic in, in what your team, you know, what you think your team can achieve. So for us to go into, let's be honest here, it's probably going to be one of our toughest games of the season mm-hmm. and have it be, you know, a, I would, a fairly, you know, we got humbled a little bit, you know, for sure. But it wasn't like, you know, an eight nothing loss where we just got ran out of there and we didn't even look like we belonged in the place. Like we showed some fight and we looked pretty good. And even for him to say, you know, that, you know, that was, you know, I didn't like the way that our team looked at all. And then we respond and we literally almost outshoot them by double. You like basically what they did to us in their arena, we did right back to them at Mullins. And the fact that we didn't get three points out of it really sucks. And I, I don't want to harp on that too much, obviously. But, but I mean, at the end of the day, those are big hockey's points. You know what I mean? If we're able to, to, to get three off of what's going to most likely be one of our top two toughest opponents this year would have been a massive statement for our hockey use chances mm-hmm. for us to kind of climb up those rankings. Yeah. And the standards are different this year for this team. Honestly, last year, down year, uh, we, you heard from coach Carvey, coach Carvel yourself uh, through our podcast. Um, a lot of stuff happened this year that he was not happy with, and he was going to take accountability and get this team turned around. Obviously the standards are a lot higher. Um, seems like more of a, more of a unit this year. Than we saw last year and I, I think everything that you saw this weekend the answer to friday night the skill on on saturday like i think everything is uh worthy of putting a lot of hope and trust into as this team goes forward yes sir and i am really really looking forward to next weekend to see how we how we match up against northeastern because i think i feel like us and northeastern are in very and i mean we're going to talk about this a little bit more so i don't want to go on it too much but just we're in very similar situations right now just in terms of where our teams are at and so i think if we do very well against them like i feel that we should i think that's going to be a really really good look for us overall because we've already had really really good moments this season but i think that you know coming off of you know what was overall a pretty pretty solid you know weekend you know just in overall performance not necessarily the results but the performance which is what i think overall matters you know that is going to be really, really good to get some momentum, especially, you know, if you take care of Northeastern and then you move on to Vermont, we could get three wins in a row right there. And we're right there in the top of the, the hockey East rankings. I feel like if we, if we get those wins when we should. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot to be, a lot to be proud of and a lot to, to build forward uh, here going in the future. Why don't we, uh, why don't we hop into our awards for this series? Yes, sir. It's about that time. So uh, the first one we like to give out is CCC Carvel's Character and Compete Award, basically uh, our player of the series. And we were both in pretty quick agreement that for this for this weekend, it's Jack Musa. Uh, he doesn't show up a ton this weekend on the score sheet. Uh, the season as a whole, he does for sure. He's already he's already at here. Let me let me try to find this. Um, he's got a lot of points and he leads the team. I, I can I can do it off memory. Three goals, six assists, nine points in seven games. Wow. So a, a pure freshman, um, he, he only gets one goal on this weekend, but uh, it's it's the, everything else outside of the scoring this weekend. Uh, he's all over the place. He looks like he has the puck on a string constantly. So much control of the puck. Um, and Coach Carr said it um, weeks ago. He said he, he's the next Bobby T, and that's not even like – sugarcoating it all or, or reaching like he looks that good with the puck is so fun to watch he's all over the place the hustle is out of this world um 
He probably deserved it last week. We didn't give it to him. Uh, definitely deserves it with this week. Jack Musa. Not nah, Musa's nuts, man. Like, and we we we're throwing around the Bobby T comparison. Like, I think he literally looks like Bobby T. Like, Bobby T's junior year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm talking like he's. I think better than than Trevino was Trevino's freshman year. I think he's already yeah. kind of beyond that level. So, I mean, if we can follow a similar path of development where he just constantly improves year upon year, and that's what I would hope for because, you know, that's – from what we've seen so far, that's just the type of dude Musa is. You know what I mean? Like, he really – you know, he started off the season, you know, fairly well for sure, but I feel like he looks better and better every weekend. You know, I don't know if it's just a case of gelling with the teammates more or what, but, you know, I genuinely do think, and that's obviously why we're giving him this award, but he looks like the best player out on out on the ice. You know, at least, at least from a forward standpoint. Like, I still think Morrow kind of gives him a run for his money in overall just kind of puck control and body shielding and, you know, maybe agile skating in the offensive zone. I think just overall puck movement, he might have a little bit more, but Musa especially for how, you know, just inexperienced he is at the collegiate level has been just setting the world alight. And he's an absolute treat to watch there on the ice. He really is. And and I guarantee he's going to get at least a few more uh, CCC awards as we go through this season and his college career. So uh, good for you, Jack. Probably deserved it every weekend so far. So um, good to see him get one there. The next award that we give out is the Good Try UMass Award, somebody who we'd like to see a little bit of improvement from the next time out there. Uh, it was a little tricky picking for this weekend. Obviously, we only got one point out of six, but like, not a lot of candidates for this award, I guess. We kind of had to reach a little bit, and we ended up giving it to Aaron Bollinger this time. Um, we talked about that goal um, at BU where I thought he could have got down to kind of block the block the cross crease pass. We we looked at it, we talked about it. It's kind of more on Suniev there. But uh outside of that, he had the penalty that made it five on three on Saturday night. Um, and his his was the power play that BU ended up tying this game on. So um that boarding call, I definitely thought it was the right call when I saw it live. I haven't seen it since, but uh he, Bollinger, um obviously he had that moment. He didn't he, he didn't really show himself too much on the positive side of things this week. I mean, obviously our expectations for him are, are huge. He's the captain. He's been absolutely awesome his whole career. So um, like him to make a little bit more of his presence felt in the next week. And I don't think that's a big ask for him at all. Yeah, no, I think definitely, I think this is more of an award that's going to be attributed to him just simply due to expectations. Like mm-hmm. he's a senior, he's the captain. It seems just kind of like he, we're going to be kind of leaning on him, you know, to really, you know, he's Mr. Clutch, you know what I mean? Like that's his freaking, that's his nickname from, you know, the hockey East championship when he ended up, you know, winning at no T like that's, that's what he does. He's meant to show up in these big moments. And if you're in the third period and you're making it a five on three, when we're up by a goal, that's, that's the inverse of clutch, man. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not an ideal look, especially for, you know, someone who is clearly very respected in the locker room and looked up to, I understand not everybody's going to be perfect, but it's literally the point of this award. You know, nobody's perfect. I bet you at some point throughout their college careers, you know, when we keep doing this podcast, 
pretty sure every freaking member of this program is going to end up getting it at some point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a numbers game. It's going to end up happening. Nobody's going to have an amazing weekend every weekend. And, you know, I think it was just Bollinger's time. You know, like, it, it is unfortunate, but I just think that he had a couple of, you know, a couple of just, I would say, minor errors that just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, he might have had two or three, you know, small ones where, you know, other people might only just had one. You know, so I feel like it was it was pretty close. You know, I I don't think he played egregiously bad or anything like that. And who knows? I mean, he was listed as an extra skater. He might have been a little bit banged up. Who knows? There could be extraneous circumstances at play here that neither of us know about. But we definitely think that he wasn't up to his best because we've seen his best before. And his best is very, very good. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, you know, he just wasn't at that upper echelon that we normally see out of him. You know, it, it kind of gives him a little bit of a, a little bit of cause to give him the good try UMass award here for this weekend. Exactly, we have a big sample size of his play to go off of, and just just wasn't at that level that we expect. So um, it will be no surprise to us when he's back there next week and for the rest of this season. But like you said, this week it's kind of just got to go to somebody, and it, I think that person's him. Yep. All right. So uh, next we'll go to our custom awards. Evan, Evan, what are you giving out for your custom award this week? All right, so I'll lead us off with the customs. So basically, uh, it's a pretty popular word in just kind of hockey in general. So, you know, if you tend to make a good amount of, you know, blocks or, you know, you're just taking a lot of block shots, you tend to be called the sponge. You know, that's usually a pretty a pretty big, you know, popular hockey phrase. I'm taking that a step farther here. So Ufko, I'm giving him the magic eraser award. You know what? You know what? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel that right now. Live change of the naming award. I'm gonna give him the Sham Wow Award because <laughs> he was super absorbent this weekend, you know, but he made us say wow at a lot of moments because mm-hmm. he, you know, I the, the the main reason why I gave this to him, and I, I told you about it in the second game, like right as it happened, was basically we were on one of our penalty kills. I think it was probably the second period. Um, yep. And he basically took a massive one T right off of his leg, literally collapsed onto the floor in pain. I'm pretty sure I heard him like yelp, like a dog basically that got like accidentally kicked or something like that. Like you could hear, like you stepped on like a dog's tail. Like, like, I heard yeah. like he was in pain and he gets right back up grimacing. You know what I mean? Like he, he hated everything and pucks up there, you know, on the top of the point, they pass it right back over to Ufko's side, rips another one T right off the inner thigh, and he goes down like a sack of potatoes again. And I'm like sitting there, I think I'm watching a horror film. You know what I mean? Like this kid femur just got broke right before my very eyes, and I'm watching in horror from the stands. He gets right back up again, immediately goes to the mid slot. He's like, bro, I'll block another one. I don't care. This kid took being a sponge up a step farther and just – was blocking a ton. And mainly it was just for this power play. I think those might've been his only two blocks of the night, but they were so vital because they were back to back in a very key moment. Cause I'm pretty sure it was a two to one game at that point. Mm-hmm. So if they were able to, you know, to tie it up on that, it would have been a massive momentum swing. And, you know, I feel like taking it up even a step farther was just from his overall play. You know, Ryan Ufko is, I'd say one of our best players overall, you know, he brings a very, very solid offensive game, but also he's very good defensively to kind of cap it off. He is a very good two-way defender, and I think he showed that off a ton this weekend. I don't want to say it was enough to give him the CCC, but I feel like it was good enough 100% to warrant a custom award because of those two key blocks back-to-back that 
you know, we saw that from Ninasari the weekend prior. You know, I'm pretty sure he won like the Everything College Hockey Sponge Award. Like he got like 11 block shots or something like that. But I think there was just something special about these two in particular that just made me, you know, look over to you immediately and say, dude, I'm giving him an award for this because that was baller status right there. So giving him the Sham Wow Award to Ryan Ufko. Yeah, and he's been insane this whole year so far. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't get too fixated on him being the on UMass because he won't be here next year. The way oh, he's playing no. right now, no way. Uh, no. He is he's really showing out. Uh, the captain as well. Uh, he's been a net positive. I don't know about exactly plus minus, but just in terms of what he's bringing, a net positive every single night. He's the guy out on the ice. So um, he's taking it to a new level this year, and he's been really really fun to watch. Yes, sir. What do we got for you, Cam? So my custom award, I am going to call it the Breath of Fresh Air Award. Um, Last year, obviously, a little stinky. Uh, We we were documenting it all. Um, The team looked a little stale. Uh, Not a a lot happened and kind of hard to score. I think they had 2.7 goals per game last season, which you you don't want to see that. Um, Breath of Fresh Air this season, the freshmen, Jack Musa, Idar Suniev, and Lushmelis. Um, obviously, Musa won the CCC, so this is more for Suniev and Lushmelis. But um, those are the three goal scorers on Saturday. Uh, UMass is three goals, and they've all they've all been such different makers. Obviously, Lushmelis has played four less games um, than Musa, and I think Suniev missed the first one. But uh, all of them in the games they've played, they've been real, real difference makers. They've been able to score the puck. Uh, something that a lot of guys weren't able to do last year was finish. Uh, and these guys have it, and even off the puck, they're they're playing really well. All of them bring kind of different skill sets to the game, and it's been so so refreshing seeing all of them play. So breath of fresh air, and it and it really feels like that compared to last season. Yeah, I think all of them, you know, bring kind of their own unique skill sets to an extent, but I feel like they fill very very important voids in this team's kind of competition, like composition, you know, in comparison to last season, like. I think Suniev is going to become one of those pure goal scorers, like I said, that we haven't seen since the likes of, you know, like a Mitchell Chafee or a John Leonard. You just, you know, I'm pretty sure in the first game, or maybe it was the second game, I forget, but Suniev, I'm pretty sure, had six shots in, in one game alone. Like, no one was doing that before. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to, like, call out, like, you know, guys from previous season. Well, you know, I will. Like, that's not going to happen for like, you know, Eric Faith or like a Jerry Harding or something like that. Like those guys filled their own roles, but like you can't have, you know, the majority of your, of your bottom six take up those roles. You know, I feel like for, to, for you to have a healthy balanced team, having three lines that are all very offensively capable is huge because that third line could be the main difference maker between, you know, if that if the other team that you're playing against only has two dedicated you know scoring lines, but you have three, there's gonna be you know just that much more firepower on your team because at the end of the day, you're 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 there to score goals. You know what I mean? You're not there to to get the moral victory, saying, "Well, I hit them more and I grinded them out along the boards more." It's about getting the puck in the back of the net, and that's what Suniev can do. That's what Musa can do. We haven't seen it so far, but that's what Loschmelas can do. You know, it happened once, and it was mm-hmm. kind of a a weird shot let's be honest here it wasn't the most beautiful goal of all time but he's gonna pick it back up and we're gonna definitely see more of that going forward so you know musa is just that kind of shifty smaller forward that can just make plays happen out of nowhere you know we really haven't seen that type of player last year i mean 
I guess like Michael Cameron was doing that a little bit at time, but at, at times, but you know, not to the level of Musa where he's over a point per game. And, you know, I, I really do think that, you know, like you said, having them be a breath of fresh air, it's so huge because we basically solved a lot of our major scoring woes from last season, you know, basically a year before we expected them to, because we were expecting these guys to eventually make that sort of contribution, but they're doing it way earlier than expected. And it's such a welcome, you know, thing to see, obviously, because we've been playing so much better because of it. Yeah, it's just been it's been so fun to watch, and the future of UMass hockey is definitely very bright. As you yes, guys sir. Know. All right, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we jump into our uh, next weekend's preview? You know, yeah, there is one minor thing that you know I feel like you know people that are like really tuned into this team might have already noticed on the stat sheet, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's huge. Lucas Mercury is almost a freaking point per game, mm. like seven games played. Six points, one goal, five assists. He's literally third on the team in assists. I'm like, I I don't want to like be mean when I say this, but like where the hell did that come from? You know what I mean? Like, I'm well, sorry. People forget he's in an NHL draft pick. Oh, I know. I'm I'm well aware. Dude, come yeah. on. You can you can't say that I didn't know that. Oh, come I, on. I, <laughs> I say people forget. Of course, of course. Forget. Of course. But no, I mean I just feel like we didn't really see that out of him last season. You know, I don't really know if like last season might have been a random down year. I mean, let's be honest. It was a down year for the whole team, right? But, you know, his first season with us, he had 15 points. His second season, he had 14. He's riding a point-per-game pace right now when last season he was on less than a half point-per-game pace. He has turned it up tremendously. And I feel like it's not even necessarily like amazing individual efforts by him. I think for him, it's been more hockey IQ related because I remember one of his assists, I believe was against AIC. I think it was when Musa scored his very first goal. He had that sick kind of in between the legs, backhand pass over to Musa mm, right in the middle yep. of the slot who he just ripped at home. And that was his first goal. Um, I know some point in the beginning of the season, I forget exactly which game, but Amazing assist from him. He, I'm pretty sure he assisted on that Taylor McCarr goal from the from the first game of this of this past weekend. Like he was just out there in front of the net. The puck fell to him. He didn't rush the play. He wasn't selfish. He didn't say, "I got to get it on net. I got to get it on net. I got to do something." He calmly passed it right over to Taylor, and Taylor was able to pass it. You know, to basically tap it into the net. Mercury has looked infinitely better this season. I know that you know, offensively. He wasn't really meant to be the guy. He was he was drafted because he was able to put up points at a respectable rate, but he was a big body. You know, like NHL scouts love big bodies. So I wasn't really expecting him to immediately set the world alight, and he didn't in his first few seasons. But if we want to talk about the potential of somebody being a very late bloomer, that could definitely be Lucas Mercury, and I feel like it could definitely pay off the Carolina Hurricanes because – He's looking like one of our better forwards right now because really solid in the faceoff dot. He's a very imposing force down low, and he can hold on to the puck because that's something that doesn't show up on the score sheet, but he's been doing very, very well with recently because he is so pivotal to keeping possession down low and continuing the cycle in the zone because that's how we like to wear down teams and get shots generated from our freaking our, from our blue liners. And for him to, you know, basically just – be able to take the puck whenever he wants down low and pass it right back around to keep things going. Such an important part of our game plan, and he's been doing it very well. So, yeah, that was probably the last thing I'll mention. It's just Lucas Mercury, 
kind of under the radar when you think about it, but he's been playing very, very well. And I feel like not a lot of people would have noticed that. So I wanted to give him a quick little highlight because I think it jumped out to me on the stat sheet. And I feel like it would have jumped out to a lot of other people too, if I mentioned it. Yeah, he's been great. And uh, at this point uh, with him in his junior year, having seen him a few years, any offensive output for him in that way almost feels like a bonus, especially when you have a freshman who can score like this. So uh, a very welcome sight and good on you for uh, for bringing that to everybody's attention because I didn't realize he was that high up in points at this point. Appreciate it. He's been very good. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's let's move on to our little preview of next weekend. A um, little bit different. We've had back-to-back-to-back series of games. Just one game on the schedule next week, and that'll be against Northeastern. Um, familiar foe, obviously, a Hockey East opponent. They've had a pretty tough start to the season, I would say. They're 2-2 two and two right now. They beat Stonehill, uh, who if anybody doesn't beat Stonehill, that's a major concern because they're a brand-new yeah. one program. Uh, they beat Bentley, who almost the same if you don't beat them. That's a little concerning. Uh, and then they lost to New Hampshire, and they lost to Merrimack 4-1 to one both times. Uh, one of them was at home, the Merrimack loss. So um, a little bit disappointing for them. Obviously, they were pretty high up in the – the Hockey East polls to start the season like they always are the last decade or so. So a um, little bit of a slow start. I'm interested to see what they look like without Devin Levi and goal. I think it'll be an interesting opponent. And, and another thing to remember is UMass has had a lot of success against Northeastern, especially at Mullen Center. So uh, we're going to see if that continues. They beat them last year, even in their down year, and uh, a lot of times before that. So uh, a welcome opponent coming to Mullins, I would say, for UMass. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I feel like, and you briefly touched upon it, I think the biggest difference is not having Devin Levi. Like, he, you know, they had a pretty solid team the past two years, right? But, I mean, the crown jewel of that team was Devin Levi. Like, they could, they could put up points at a fairly respectable rate, but if you have a goalie that's, you know, letting in a goal and a half per game on average, you're going to win most of your games regardless of your offensive output. You know, they've lost their X factor, in my opinion. You know, they – haven't really looked amazing scoring for the most part. Like in, you know, their, their goals against average is fairly low, but if I'm looking, so they're, they're starting goalies, Cameron Whitehead, pretty sure he's a freshman. He's a Vegas draft pick. Let me check the round on it right now. He's a fourth round pick. So he's held in a fairly high regard. You know what I mean? Being a fourth round pick, that's, you know, you have a pretty solid, uh, professional outlook to your career. But, um, reason why I bring up his stats 2.26 goals against average, but a 903 save percentage. That right there jumps off the page and tells me that they don't allow very many shots because he has a very low save percentage, but also a very low goals against average. So, you know, he's not letting in a, a, a ton of goals, but he doesn't have a high volume of saves to kind of offset that and translate to a high save percentage. And I feel like we've probably seen that a fair bit from, from Northeastern anyway. I mean, they're usually a pretty defensively responsible team. For the most part, like, I mean, you wouldn't really be able to tell it from from Levi's stats because his numbers were just insane anyway. But, you know, they're they're a pretty stout defensive team as it stands. But the thing that really jumps out to me is that I'm pretty sure their captain has been injured for the majority of the beginning of the season now. It's uh, Justin, it's like Ritzkavian or whatever, even though it's like pronounced mm. with like an A, there's like an H in there and yeah. a W. It might be like Polish or something. I don't know. But... Yeah, he's basically a point-per-game player from the past two seasons. He's only played one game for them this season, and he already had two apples in that game. So, I mean, he's kind of their dude. I don't know what his injury status is. 
if he's missing again, that's going to be pretty freaking cool for us. You know what I mean? If not, you know, he's going to be providing a little bit of offensive firepower for them. But as a whole, I mean, they're basically a net negative on the season. We we're we're currently in a better spot than them overall, you know, just in terms of pure record and things like that. We, I feel like we, we can put our best foot forward. They have some dangerous guys. Like I said, you know, Chris Kavian, I think Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, which is probably an all time hockey name right there. That's top five all time. Like Jesus Christ. And then they have a couple of, you know, really solid draft picks like Cameron Lund. He's a, or Lund. I don't know how you say it, but he's a Sharks pick. Uh, Liam Walsh, who's undrafted, but I remember his his name from Merrimack. He uh, he was a very solid player for Merrimack, and he eventually transferred over to uh, uh, Northeastern. You know, they have good enough players, but I just I don't know if they're going to be able to put it all together against a overall a very, very good UMass team. I think we could blow the doors off them because I think, you know, if we can pepper them with shots and dominate them the way that we dominated BU in that second game, especially on home ice, We've been amazing out there on our home ice so far this season. So I think we really could do some damage to them. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Northeastern, they do have a good squad. Um, in the latest poll, they were ranked number 18th. UMass was 19th this week. So um, the the poll voters seem to think that they're pretty evenly matched. I think with their two losses last week, both 4-1, to one, I think Northeastern will get bumped out. Um, that can kind of swing us towards our conversation about where UMass stands. Mm-hmm. Um I think you you have a loss and then you have a tie to BU, who they have ranked number nine in the country right now. I'm not sure how deep these voters look into it um, in terms of like how the game went. If they if they dug a little bit, they'd see that clearly UMass played really well in the second game. But uh, behind them, Omaha ranked 20th. I believe they they lost this weekend. Um, so those two schools probably will fall out of the rankings. Uh, UNH won twice, so they're poised to jump in. So. I think there's definitely a, a route that UMass stays ranked this week. My, I'm putting my prediction out there that I think they're going to be ranked 20th um, in the 20th spot. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, I definitely don't think UMass will be falling drastically in this this ranking upcoming on Monday afternoon. You know, there's no way in hell that we're going to fall, you know, majorly. But I personally, and again, you know, I'm not even saying this just to disagree with you and make for some cool hot takes. I'm going to go we end up being like 21st or 22nd, like right on the bubble. A lot of ranked votes, we're going to be right there, but I don't think we squeak in because, you know, realistically, I haven't done, you know, all the research that I would need to to make the most informed decision on this, but just statistically, right? Like if there's four or five teams that are right on that bubble and, you know, all it really takes is one of those teams to sweep, they're most likely going to find their way up into that 20th or 19th spot. And like you mentioned, UNH is already in that category. I I, def, I feel like just statistically there has to be one other team that's going to fill in that spot when we got, you know, a loss and a tie, you know, against what is, you know, a very respectable opponent with a high ranking, but I feel like it's just not enough. I feel like if we, if we got the, the full win that I, you know, I wish that we got in that second game, I would have a different opinion. I would say, yeah, we probably stay around 19th, but we didn't get that W. So I just think we don't have enough in our favor just yet. I feel like once we start building up more of a report as the season goes on, I feel like if we get that win against Northeastern next weekend, boom, we're right back into it. You know, we're literally as if we never left. But I feel like right now it's just a very minor setback in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and the national poll, obviously not the biggest deal. No. But, uh, we, we do like to see really it. Good. 
yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the players and the um are really feed off of it a little bit. Uh, it gives them some confidence, and they definitely shoot to be higher up. So, um, it means something. I think not not a whole lot, but it means something in the grand scheme of things. What's more important is the hockey East standings, which kind of brings us into our out of town scoreboard for the weekend. I'll go through these games quick, and you could tell me if anything jumps out at you from these results. Alrighty. So, we already talked about Northeastern. They lost to to UNH, and they lost to Merrimack. So, not a great weekend for them. We have BC beating Michigan State um, in both games. They swept them at home, which is a really big outcome. BC is probably going to be ranked number one next week um, yeah. with a couple losses in the top three there. So um, BC, they really looked impressive. Uh, Providence beat Vermont and then tied Vermont in game two, both in Providence. Pretty impressive result there from Vermont to get a tie, and they actually won in the shootout, so they get two points. Um, Providence has been really good this year, so good mm -hmm. for Vermont getting those points there. Obviously, UMass, BU, you know how those played out. We just talked about it for a freaking hour and a half. Um, UMass, Lowell, and UConn. UConn won in overtime in game one, and they lost one nothing in game two. So UConn continuing to slide. They, they get a split there. Um, and that looks to be it. New Hampshire beat Dartmouth 3-1, um, to one, and Maine lost to Quinnipiac 4-1. to one, So... Oof. Uh, a couple of expected scores there, but a couple of surprises there on the uh, on the weekend as a whole. Yeah, I mean, the ones that jump out to me are the Vermont and the UNH results, for sure. I mean, UNH, um, I'm actually looking at the pairwise rankings right now because I was very curious um, to see where UMass was. So just to throw it out there, just to get it off my chest, UMass right now is at 10th. I think we were at the 5th before the weekend, so we're going to drop as expected, but Really not that bad of a of a drop in the grand scheme of things. That that looks pretty freaking good there. So that's awesome. But um oddly enough, uh Maine is at second right now and UNH is at fifth, which was not expecting to see that in the pairwise rankings this early on in the season. Yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there real quickly just for people to hear. But yeah, going into those scores that you mentioned, the UNH one wild. Like UNH right now, I think they're four and one on the season. You know, that is not what I expected at all, considering that I had them being, you know, bottom dwellers of Hockey East. They're going to be ranked above us most likely this weekend. So that's, you know, a, I'll, I'll take the L on that one. You know what I mean? It's the classic Shaq, like, I'm sorry, I wasn't familiar with your game type thing. You know, it is what it is. I'll, I'll take the L on that. Same thing with, uh, with Vermont. You know, I mean, Providence is a damn good team right now. You know, they've looked very, very good early on the season. They've outperformed my expectations for sure. Um, and to have Vermont, you know, get a tie with them is a is a is a good result for them, I think, because as it stands right now, I mean, I feel like if I'm gonna pick a team that might be bottom of hockey east, it might be Vermont. At this point, it might be UConn with the way that they're playing, because UConn has been, for lack of a better term, dreadful. You know what I mean? Just overall. So I mean, we'll we'll see obviously how things shake out, you know, later on. Like right now they're twenty-eighth. They're three, four, and one in their overall play. When I say 28th, I mean in the pairwise. And yeah, I mean, they've been vastly underperforming. So as a whole, I mean, that's the interesting thing about Hockey East right now, you know, is that it might not be just specific results, you know, going certain ways, but just the overall parity is just crazy. You know, it seems like teams are just beating each other up left and right and nothing makes sense at all. Like we were expecting certain teams to be flying high right now and some teams to just be absolutely woeful. And it's basically done a complete flip on its head. You know, the teams that we're expecting to be trash were actually pretty freaking good right now. And the teams that we were expecting to be really good are kind of trash right now. So 
we'll see how long it lasts and maybe things will equal out over time. But as of right now, it's, it's a madhouse right now in hockey East. Yeah. And uh, it's got me excited to get into hockey East play. I think it's going to be pretty fun this year. hundred percent. It'll be very, very good to see how everything shakes out going forward. All right. So that is about everything. We went pretty long again. We've been doing that this season. Um, a lot of fun things to talk about regarding UMass hockey compared to last year. So it's been a good time talking about it. I hope you guys are having fun listening to it. Um, our ratings are through the roof compared to the last <laughs> couple of years. So definitely appreciate the support from you guys as always. Uh, we'll be in attendance at Mullins Friday night against Northeastern. So uh, feel free to come say hi. Section T, as always. We're going to be um, doing a live pod, our first ever live podcast at the tailgate on Saturday for homecoming, uh, the football tailgate Saturday afternoon. We're going to have at least at least a special guest or two. So uh, if, you're, if you're there, come try to find us, swing by. It should be a really fun time. Never done something like that before, so... We're going to be out there battling the tech, trying to trying to figure out how to get that done. But I think it's going to be a good time. Um, we have had an absolute blast doing this this year. This looks like a really good team. and uh, looks like it's going to be a fun season. So thank you guys for sticking with us all the way through it. Um, appreciate you guys, and go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. Next weekend is going to be a really fun one.